Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Roundtable. History is made every day in Washington, D.C., but history is made in a very big way this week. For only the third time in history, the House of Representatives presented to the United States Senate articles of impeachment against the President of the United States. Whereupon, with all members sworn in by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the Senate began its solemn duties of deciding whether or not the president should be removed from office. Actual testimony begins on Tuesday. It was such a historical moment, even jaded members of Congress seemed struck by the solemnity of the moment. Uh, And oh, by the way, meanwhile this week, two new trade deals were approved. Democrats held yet another debate. Virginia approved the ERA and the entire Russian government resigned. Here to try to make some sense of it all, Sabrina Siddiqui, national politics reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Hello, Sabrina. Hello, how are you? All right, good to see you. Jason Dick is the deputy editor of Roll Call. Morning, Bill. Jason, good to see you. And Matt Gertz, senior fellow at Media Matters for America. Hello, Matt. Good morning, good to be back. So on this Friday, uh, it is uh, January 17, about 8.30 a.m. as we begin our roundtable. I think we should uh, all begin properly by taking an oath of impartiality. I think that would be that's up for the moment. But uh, we can't be silent under pain of imprisonment because then the podcast would be very boring. That's right. <laughs> Is there a book we can sign into? Or so, like members of the Senate, we will already break the rules. Right. Yeah. But with all joking aside, I mean, as Joe Biden might say, this is a BFD. Right. I mean, I just what are your thoughts on the historicity or the solemnity of this moment, Jason? Uh, I, it is a big deal. And and I think that, as, as you mentioned, you know, at the top of the of the pod here, I mean, even members of Congress seem to have gotten that um, the uh, you know, the line coming out of Washington for the last couple of months is that this is all you know, kabuki theater and nobody cares. And, you know, it's just a hoax. If you're a Republican, if it's Democrat, it's a cover up. And, and, you know, everybody, we heard these lines so many times that they almost ceased to mean anything. Uh, And then on, on Wednesday, when the, you know, when the speaker held her enrollment ceremony to, uh, for the articles of impeachment and picked her managers and the managers marched them across the, the, uh, rotunda from the house to the senate side um it was it you could feel it you could feel the weight of it um maybe that's just because there were more people in the capitol at the time uh and taking up more oxygen you know just on a physical level but it really what it felt uh that we had entered a different phase and even if i mean i kind of liken it to the to the uh, what sean doolittle said about the playoffs in the during the baseball season all you need is a ticket to the dance and you never know what's going to happen and you know we don't we still don't know what's going to happen there is sort of a wild card in the air 
of what may happen with witnesses and so forth. So it's it's this is a, a big deal. And Sabrina, watching those uh, members of the House walk across a rotunda, you know, two by two and led by the clerk and the sergeant of arms, it was pretty impressive, right? I mean, you realize, oh, this is really happening. Right, and it's only what, the third time in U.S. history that we're going through this process, and so you can't really understate the historic significance of the moment, and I do think that in the end, while there were some who were questioning the delay on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's part in transmitting uh, those articles of impeachment to the Senate, we have now seen even more evidence uh, come forward to suggest that the president was directly involved in this scheme to withhold uh, U.S. military aid to Ukraine uh, based on allegations by Lev Parnas, an associate of the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, there's a picture of the president and Parnas, despite the president's assertion that he doesn't know him and didn't meet him. Um, and you are potentially seeing the importance of, or you are seeing the importance of the Senate calling more witnesses, whether or not Republicans are willing to do so is a separate matter. Um, but I really do think that over the last couple of weeks alone, in addition to everything that the House investigation had already uncovered, which was damning within and of itself, uh, there's more uh, evidence that really gets at the heart of what this impeachment inquiry is about right. and and really supports uh, the evidence from testimony brought forth by both former and current government officials, longstanding career diplomats. And so I think the coming weeks will really place even more pressure on Republicans uh, to not simply ignore what is becoming more and more transparent before the American public. We, uh, and we'll get to some of that, whether the question about whether any of that new evidence or witnesses will be seen or heard from, just a second, Matt, th this is something you'll tell your grandchildren about. Absolutely. I mean, this is we are the uh, first generation of Americans to uh, experience two impeachment trials. Um, that That's something that simply hasn't happened before. And so we are going to uh, have to sort through... Uh, the meaning of these moments in the, in the days and weeks and months and years to come. But uh, certainly it is, it's a solemn time. It's one with a lot of weight uh, and uh, one that, uh, yeah, I think we'll be, we'll be telling future generations about for quite some time. So it began uh, on Thursday afternoon after he himself had been sworn in by Senator Grassley, who is the President Pro Tem. President Pro Tem being the longest serving Oldest member of the Senate. <laughs> yes. Uh, that uh, the Chief Justice then turned around and asked the members of the Senate to stand and raise their right hand and take the oath. Do you solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald John Trump, President of the United States, now pending, you will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws? So help you God. So far as we know, every one of the 100 members of the Senate said, yes, we do. And I, yet... I, actually, one exception, uh, Jim sorry. Inhofe, a Republican from Oklahoma, was back uh, in, uh, in Oklahoma attending to a family medical uh, emergency. So the thank 99, you, I didn't realize yeah, that. And he'll, and he'll take it uh, when they uh, assemble on Tuesday. Well, of the 99 who were there, let's say, um, some of them had already come out and said... We're going to vote to acquit this president. We don't want to hear any more witnesses. This is, a, this is a shame. This is a hoax. Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell himself, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, uh, they're the ones that pop into my mind. Have they already, I mean, seriously, have they already violated their oath? 
It would seem so. Uh, I mean, th- that I mean, if uh, I, I think that if um, if any of us were hauled down to D.C. Superior Court uh, and go- and gone through voir dire uh, as as part of jury selection, we wouldn't have even made it under the jury if we would have said like, "Yeah, he looks guilty," mm-hmm, or "Nope, going to vote to acquit no matter what." <laughs> um, but this is different. I mean, and. That doesn't make it right, <laughs> but it is a different. It's a political process as well as a legal process. Well, that's that, that's the answer I hear. Well, you're talking about criminal trials, right? Uh, and it doesn't matter with the Senate. But the, an oath is an oath. Yeah, I was just going to say, an oath is an oath, Matt. Uh, it is. I mean, I, I don't really know how one would adjudicate that in, in the sort of true it, given the certain the political climate, and and I don't know what the sort of breakdown is between Republicans and Democrats who have seemed to take a position on impeachment before the trial begins. Um, I, I think it's going to be kind of hard to weigh. Uh, that uh, going forward. But yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the senators have positions right now, whether that changes over the course of the trial based on evidence that they were not aware of that is already out there or new evidence that comes forward, I think is yet to be seen. So Sabrina, you raised the question of new evidence. Yesterday, uh, some of the most damning evidence we've seen, yeah, you mentioned Lev, Lev Parnas earlier, we'll get to that. But the General Accounting Office actually issued a report yesterday saying the Trump administration broke the law when they withheld the aid, committed a crime. Now, will senators be willing to entertain that? That was not part of the House documentation, obviously, because it had not happened by that time. The report came out yesterday. They're going to ignore it? Well, you have a nonpartisan government agency that's saying, okay, the Congress, uh, sorry, the the Trump administration broke the law uh, by withholding funds that were already appropriated by Congress. And in theory, that would be a big deal. We always play this game. Imagine if this had happened under Obama. It's almost a futile game to play at this point. But I I think it's significant because it does at least uh, buttress the claims by or not even claims the argument by democrats that uh this was not there's there's a separate question about the political implications and soliciting interference from a foreign government to investigate political rival and then there's just simply the legality of the freeze on military aid and so this really gets at the heart of that uh but i don't think that it's necessarily going to sway republicans uh because at this point they've made it pretty clear we just spent the last few minutes talking about how uh they've already taken a position uh, that some no, the them. entire inquiry, some of them, that the entire inquiry is within of itself invalid. Now, you know, some of these are this more ardent supporters of the president. Rand Paul, for example, said, you know, why should we even consider new evidence when in an investigation that we never agreed should have been held in the first place? Right. Um, what does it do for Lisa Murkowski, for Susan Collins, for... You know Mitt Romney, Cory Gardner. That's what remains a little more unclear. But I don't. You know, you look at someone like Martha McSally, who you know, this clip went viral uh, just yesterday, where CNN's Manu Raju asks her uh, to try to comment on some of the new evidence, and she says, "I'm not going to talk to you. You're a liberal hack." Uh, so, so, and then she proudly tweets out this clip, um, and then the Trump uh, re-election campaign tweets it out and says, donate to Martha McSally, who's running in a tough re-election race in Arizona, in purple Arizona. So I think- Timing was very, uh, you know, serendipitous, wasn't it? (laughs) No, the timing is serendipitous, but this just gets at the the broader point when it comes to Republicans that they still, by and large, have made the calculation that they are better off 
shoring up support with the president's base than they are considering themselves independent jurors and what is a very serious inquiry into whether or not you should remove the president, the sitting president from office. So those who would like to see more evidence introduced or more witnesses, um, they need a solid, dependable Republican they can lead on to lead the charge. And they found one yet again in Susan Collins of Maine. I am willing to travel the road wherever it leads, whether it's to the conviction or the acquittal of the president. But in order to do that, I need more evidence. I need witnesses and further evidence to guide me to the right destination, to get to the truth. So that was Susan Collins in the Clinton uh, impeachment. <laughs> or you can just uh, play we, it, and it's the same as, just, as, as yesterday, are, too. Are, are we really going to play the Susan Collins game again and count on her to lead the charge or vote the right way in 2020? Spoiler alert, no. <laughs> yeah. She's very much the you know Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown. But I that, mean, I think, yeah. is the danger for someone like Susan Collins and, and for... Uh, other Republicans who uh, are facing tough elections in the fall, uh, that w no matter what happens during the trial itself, more information is going to come out. There are FOIAs out there that are going to reveal more about the scheme uh, in the months to come. And so if they hastily push through this trial, vote to acquit, uh, and then four months later, new damning evidence emerges, uh, it's going to look very bad for them. And look, so, I don't think that they vote to acquit, but at a minimum, maybe this helps uh, Democrats pull over <coughs> even someone like Susan Collins uh, in it toward getting witnesses to appear, subpoenaing well, witnesses uh, to b appear before the Senate, which is something McConnell is still trying to avoid. And it does look like there are at least enough Republicans who've said, hey, we don't want to just rush through this process. And if we sh if there are certain witnesses who should who the House did not have a chance to interrogate, who we can, we should have them come forward. So look at the math, Jason Forrest, or, or to spell out the math. The Democrats don't need that many Republicans to vote with them to get, I'm not saying to acquit now, we're just talking about right. new evidence, get the Parnas stuff in front of them, get the emails, the text from Mulvaney to OMB in front of them, get this a, a GAO report in front of them. It is those four that Sabrina mentioned earlier. You know, I mean, like four, they need four votes, you know, to, yep. it's, it's a 53-47 Senate, and so they need at least four, you know, to, to get, you know, any kind of uh, motion that would pass to, to, to bring some of those witnesses and documents. And I, I also am skeptical that... Um, you know, that will eventually get that. But who who knows? I mean, like what what where the calculus will be with somebody like Gardner, with somebody like Romney. Um, and I, I, I think this is, again, that we're, we, we're up for, you know, at least a week or two just of opening statements from the managers and from the uh, the White House lawyers. And so right. that's going to eat up a lot of time going right up to the Iowa caucuses. Uh, and and then we'll get to motions on, on witnesses and, and, and potential uh, evidence. So Matt, this is going to be on television, on C-SPAN, I think, only, correct? It's, or it's can a the feed, cables carry it's a feed it? It's a from C-SPAN, but the, uh, yeah. the other networks can carry it. Can carry it. it they want so, to. Yeah, it's a feed that C-SPAN gets from the okay. government. It's a government camera, so they can switch it off anytime they want. Correct. Uh, and and they did during the Clinton trial, so that we may go dark during certain times if, if senators want to My question is, this things. could linger, this could drag for, for at least two weeks, we would have to say, just, just by the time seven managers make their case and the president's lawyers make their back and forth, 
and then the senators submit written questions, right? That's at least two weeks. They're not going to be in eight hours a day, probably. But my question is, is the American public going to be tuned in? Do they care? Are they going to be following this? Is there an attention span? I hope so. I mean, certainly, as we've said, this is a historic moment. It's one in which you would expect uh, more attention than at other times. On the other hand, the American public tends to have a lot of other stuff that they're doing in the middle of uh, the work week. And so, you know, whether or not that's actually feasible is, uh, I think, a different question. Right. Um, And it seems that the Senate Majority Leader, at least from my perspective, is trying to make it as difficult as possible for the senators to want to stay there, right? They can't read any, they can't have a phone. They can't read any material except the the trial-relevant material, right? They can't have the morning paper, anything else. They can't talk to each other. They have to sit in their seat. They can't walk around and schmooze the way we see them always every senator's nightmare. Yeah. And, and it's right. also yeah, and th- this doesn't come so much from McConnell. This comes from the precedents that were set, you know, back in actually mm-hmm. in, in set in, in 1986 uh, for impeachment trials in general, not just for a presidential impeachment trial. So, so the the way that this is, I mean, they can change that at any time right. uh, through you know like through their own rule rulemaking process. But it like absent a, a definitive change where they say like we're not going to meet on Saturdays or we're going to meet like an hour earlier and leave an hour earlier and so forth. They have to be there from one o'clock, you know, and until late in the afternoon and sit and they get a bathroom break and that's about it. And and this is bad news, by the way, for certain senators who are seeking the Democratic nomination for president and would much rather, as they've made clear, be spending their time in Iowa. Senators Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, who was really looking to Iowa to gain some momentum. It could be a fatal blow to her campaign. A little lesser so Michael Bennett, uh, who I don't think Mm -hmm. people often even remember is running for president too. Uh, But this is a major problem because it takes them easily to the Iowa caucuses, if not beyond. And so I've I've reported on how uh, they're strategizing for this moment, most of which relies on sending out surrogates and uh, teletown halls if they can do them calling into local and national media. But the part you mentioned about how they're just sitting there silently matters too, because it's not like in the House where you had these dramatic hearings and maybe they would have the opportunity to grill witnesses. And that would be something that if in the terms of a nationalized mm-hmm. election could play well for them because they're actually sitting there holding the president accountable on camera. They're really just sitting there silently. Uh, so they're really going to have to rely on earned media and other forums yep. in a race that's still fairly fluid. And we're according to that Des Moines Register poll out just last week in Iowa, a decent percentage of voters are still undecided. And so it could be a boost to the likes of Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, even if it's say, all about ground game right no, now. The Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg are saying, don't worry, we'll take care of Iowa. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we'll take exactly. care of Iowa. Run but wild. Matt, if, <laughs> if it's tough for the Senate, it's also become really tough the rules for any reporters trying to cover this in the Senate. That's true. I mean, they're not going to be able to sort of give us a up-to-the-minute uh, accounting of what's going on beyond whatever we're getting from this TV feed, uh, at least in real and time. And even their access to senators? I do think the, the sort of upside to that, though, is that we don't have the spectacle of particular senators tweeting back and forth at each other about what is happening during the trial. They're actually going to be forced to take in the arguments that are being made. They will have no other choice but to do that. 
uh, and that I, I think uh, it might be a little bit better. Jason, I'm sure Roll Call has joined other news organizations in saying, hey, wait a minute, you're roping us into this little pen and we're not allowed to leave this little roped we, area. I mean, we have, and, and also just a uh, disclosure, I'm also a member of the Periodical Gallery Standing Committee of Correspondence, and we drafted a letter saying that the restrictions were uh, seemed haphazard. Uh, they're, they're not, there is actually still no official guidance from the Senate Sergeant at Arms uh, the no one seems to be able to have a give us a consistent uh, idea of exactly what the rules are. So, you know, yesterday uh, we were allowed to walk with a senator up until the escalators in the subway, and then we had to stop. And then they said, no, no, you can keep on walking if the senator wants you to. And so we did that. And then about 30 minutes later, they said, no, you can't do that. And and you know, a lot of these police officers are they're in overtime and they're not totally happy about like doing, doing mm -hmm. this thing. And they also don't work with us as much. And then there's also a, a so, sort of phalanx of campaign reporters who don't spend a lot of time uh, in the Capitol and don't know just the basic ground rules, le much less these restrictions. So it's a, it's a complete colossal pain. And it's also, uh, it makes it difficult to get, you know, up to the minute reporting and to talk to people. And it's, it's, a, it's a real, you know, sort of stain, I think, on the transparency of the institution. So the actual testimony starts uh, next Tuesday. And the um, next roundtable, we'll be able to talk about the first couple of days of the trial itself. But before we move on, this one new person, whose name has been mentioned a couple of times, has surfaced. Uh, he did give an interview with uh, N Anderson Cooper and with Rachel Maddow. We're talking about Lev Parnas. Here he is with Rachel Maddow. I just want to get your thoughts on whether or not this guy is credible and could be kind of the, you know, make the difference in, in uh, this trial. President Trump knew exactly what was going on. Uh, he was aware of all of my movements. Uh, he, I wouldn't do anything without the consent of Rudy Giuliani or the president. I have no intent, I have no reason to speak to any of these officials. I mean, they have no reason to speak to me. Why would President Zelensky's inner circle or Minister Vakov or all these people or President Poroshenko meet with me? Who am I? Mm -hmm. They were told to meet with me, and uh, that's the secret that they're trying to keep. I was on the ground doing their work. Pretty damning testimony. Or statement. Uh, it is a damning statement. And uh, look, there are the two associates of Rudy Giuliani's who came into public view a couple months ago uh, as it looked as though uh, authorities out of the Southern District of New York were investigating or in moving closer to investigating some of Rudy Giuliani's business dealings. And uh, and this, this is certainly Lev Parnas, one of the those two individuals who also is central to carrying out this mission in Ukraine. And look, some people might raise credibility issues only because people in Giuliani's inner circle are not necessarily uh, often looked at as the most credible of people. But look, this is a lot like Michael Cohen, where the president's former personal attorney, where look, you may have certain credibility issues more broadly with a, an individual. But when it comes to these allegations, this is someone who is directly involved uh, with this scheme and who is, who is, you know, at least willing to testify under oath yeah. to the, at great risk and, and to the this, president's involvement. And Matt, this does makes the link solid link between Trump and what happened. Sure. And look, uh, Lev Parnas, like many of the people that surround the president uh, is uh, a con man and kind of a liar. And so I, I wouldn't take anything that he says at face value, but he's also bringing with him a host of documents, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, uh, a letter from Giuliani to uh, Zelensky in which he presents himself as the president's personal lawyer and uh, as someone who is like working on this directly for him uh, and a host of text messages uh, and other communications between different players in this scheme. That I think is, is where the focus should be because that is contemporaneous documentation mm-hmm. of uh, what yeah. appears to be a, a sprawling criminal enterprise. And again, uncertain, uh, uh, Jason, but hard to keep that kind of evidence it would seem to me out just say no i don't want to hear from him right and even if it's not admitted if even if it's like this big catch of documents and is not is is not admitted and lev parnas is not you know deposed uh by by the house managers for the senate trial you look at the way that the senate trials have of these three presidents have unfolded and even though you know clinton and andrew johnson were impeached what do we remember about Andrew Johnson? Well, he he put a put the kibosh on Reconstruction and reinstit, you know helped reinstitute Jim Crow. That's his legacy, even if he wasn't removed from office. What's Bill Clinton's legacy? He fooled around with a woman who could have been his daughter in an anteroom next to the Oval Office. I mean, he can't ever escape that, even though he was acquitted. And I think that regardless of what happens with this trial, and 67 votes to remove from office is a pretty high hurdle, Donald Trump will be remembered as somebody who was shady and and sold out the country for his own interests and was impeached no matter what the senate does and Correct. that that is impeached forever uh and with that hard to believe there's anything else to talk about but there is <laughs> so we'll take a quick break uh, with jason dick and sabrina Siddiqui, matt gertz here at the round table and then continue And today's roundtable brought to us by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, those good men and women, hardworking men and women, 1.3 million strong of the UFCW uh, throughout the United States and Canada. Uh, They represent workers at the grocery level, retail level, packing and producing, processing plants, chemical workers, distillery, and yes, cannabis workers, all under the leadership of President Mark Perrone. We salute them and thank them so much for their support of the Bill Press Roundtable. Check out their website at ufcw.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Look around. 
You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. And back with today's roundtable and uh, this week's news, uh, Matt Gertz from Media Matters, Sabrina Siddiqui from the Wall Street Journal, and Jason Dick from Roll Call. President Trump uh, met with the Chinese leaders, uh, trade leaders, and uh, they agreed to phase one of a new U.S.-China trade deal. Uh, then the Senate passed the USMC, the new NAFTA. Two big wins for Donald Trump. Jason? Eh. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes. These, this is a um, if if you, this is a big deal for for trade in general. I mean, like trade wars have seemed to define the administration uh, in in the last couple of years, and just the fact that you know that that there is some sort of progress on China would be a good deal. The tariffs are still in place, uh, you know, for mm-hmm. the foreseeable future. So that that's not particularly comforting if you're, you know, a, a trader or some or something. Um, and with USMCA, I mean, this, this, this is something that Democrats can also point to and say that they had an influence on. I mean, like when Sherrod Brown votes for a trade deal, you know that like the Democrats yeah. have had some influence on it. So And they've been and against I, NAFTA before right. it was enacted by Bill Clinton. Right. They and finally got rid of it. Exactly. And I just, but I, I question whether this punches through the impeachment cloud or politics in the presidential campaign. And, you know, who cares? I mean, who has USMCA right. on the front of their brain right now? I think. Uh, I don't. I think <laughs> the, the, the China uh, preliminary agreement uh, is different from the USMCA, certainly in terms of its significance, um, in part because the USMCA is one of the rare uh, pieces of legislation that has. Passed with broad bipartisan support, even in this highly polarized era, and against the backdrop of impeachment, which has severed you know relations between the president and Democrats on Congress even more than they already were. Uh, but at the same time, um, it is true that you know if you ask trade experts, uh, at least with respect to China, because there is still uh, there are still tariffs on roughly three hundred and seventy billion dollars of Chinese uh, in Chinese goods. Uh, U.S. companies are still purchasing at a higher price, and then the effects of that will be ca- passed on to the consumer. So they sp- still expect uh, yeah. that prices will uh, be raised on average American consumers. And in many ways, that is a conflict of the president's own making because of the trade wars that he initiated right. with China in the first place. On so USMCA, there are stronger protections with respect to labor, um, particularly uh, the authority that the U.S. has to interrogate uh, the standards in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big win for Democrats, uh, even if slightly watered down than what they initially wanted, which was to be able to send inspectors into factories in Mexico. They still got uh, agreement that you know has support from people like Sharon Brown, as you mentioned, and other and other pr- pr- proponents of labor. Um, Elizabeth Warren also notably voted in favor of the USMCA. So I, I, you know, both sides are going to overplay it because Democrats want to be able to point to all of the concessions they were able to extract, and Trump obviously wants to say this is the best trade deal in the history of the country, uh, of the world, uh, of the world. Right. Uh, I, I wouldn't buy into that. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt, uh, just to move on, so we can get some of these other things covered. We had a debate this week in in Iowa. The debate was pretty boring. Uh, six candidates on stage, five serious candidates, I would add, and then there was also Tom Steyer. Um, <laughs> and everybody thought it was over, but it wasn't over because Elizabeth Warren went over to Bernie Sanders and the CNN microphones oh caught this exchange. I think you called me a liar on 
on national TV? What? I think you called me a liar on national no. TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that Anytime. discussion. You called me a liar. You told me. All right, let's not do it now. You called me a liar? No, you called me a liar. Uh, Matt, anybody win this exchange? I don't think so, but I, I also think, you know, we're fixating a lot on this uh, because this uh, Democratic primary has been shockingly tame uh, with very, very few direct attacks between candidates. Uh, if you compare something like this to uh, the 2008 Democratic primary where the major candidates were... You're likable enough, Hillary. <laughs> likable enough, Hillary. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton demanding uh, Obama reject and denounce Farrakhan uh, yeah, yeah. during a debate. Like, they were throwing haymakers at each other on a pretty constant... Uh, basis. Uh, I remember you know, you the 2016. Yeah. Republican Thank you. 2016 primary. Republican primary. Yes. I mean, or just the, the magnitude uh, of uh, attack that we are seeing is quite marginal compared to that. So it's getting a lot of attention, but in the grand scheme of things, this is having not said much. that it's uh, it's upsetting uh, progressive groups who are aligned with both senators uh, and who have offered influential endorsements in. Uh, what is still a fairly competitive Democratic primary. They issued a statement, some of the groups, some of them backing Bernie, some of them backing Warren, Warren asking for a ceasefire uh, because they do think this is distracting from the issues that matter. Um, and it's notable just because Senator Sanders and Senator Warren uh, share broadly share an ideological agenda. Uh, this yeah. appears to be personal, and uh, it's unusual uh, that it's, it's spilled into public view. It speaks a little bit more to some of the acrimony within the internal campaigns than I think it does to the state of the race. Uh, but it, it helps some. It also helps their opponents, uh, and I, I don't sure. think it's, I think it helps people like Joe Biden um, to to to, to kind of not be part of this. And I do think that though the, there there are some concern um, if this means that their supporters wouldn't back the other if the other was oh, the nominee. Yeah. They don't want to have this have the effect that it did with Hillary Clinton, where there was even if it's a small faction of Sanders supporters, but in a very close contest, say never Hillary. They don't want to have a never Warren situation if she were the nominee, or a never Bernie situation. So I think there is an appetite to just put this behind them and move on and oh. refocus on. Are a we going to see agenda. that? Do you think, Jason, a a, a, a detente or uh, ceasefire? I, I think that going forward. They don't have they don't have a choice because they're both adults and they they can figure this out. I think they because they have seen what happens when just yeah, a few thousand yeah. people in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania, you know, sort of you know throw the lever for Jill Stein, uh, and and so. But I, it seems like it's so raw right now that they're gonna t they they need a little time. Maybe sitting next to each other for four hours a day in <laughs> silence in will silence. help. It's like a monastic sort of situation. <laughs> It's like detention. Yeah. It's like they've been given detention. <laughs> now, one other issue that maybe not have been on the front page is this, but it's an issue that doesn't seem to go away, and that is the role of Facebook in the last campaign and the role of Facebook in this campaign. And they, so far, seems to be defying all the pressure to um, police their own website, if you will, or their own world. Uh, particularly against falsehoods or misleading ads or just phony ads, uh, Speaker Pelosi spoke on this this week and didn't. Uh, she was pretty tough on a California firm called Facebook. Here she is. They all they wanted their tax cuts and no antitrust action against them, and they schmooze this administration in that regard because so far that's what they have received. But I, I think that they're uh, what they have said very blatantly, very clearly, 
that they intend to be accomplices for misleading the American people with money from God knows where. And I think their behavior is uh, shameful. Whoa, Matt Kurtz. Yeah, that's a lot of heat and I think well-deserved. I mean, we've spent a lot of time, I think, over the past few years uh, considering the possibility that you know Facebook just doesn't understand what they're doing. They don't know the power they have. They're just sort of stumbling into all these problems. I think perhaps we should consider the possibility that Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg are very smart people and they know exactly what they're doing. And what they're doing is making vast sums of money by allowing disinformation to spread through the body politic. That is uh, what they are doing and have been doing for several years. And I think at some point we have to just accept the fact that like, Perhaps that is how they want it to go. Right. Well, they've Um, been given a free pass to do so because there's a lot of talk from members of both parties uh, that there perhaps should be uh, more regulation or an effort to look at the prowess of Facebook and hold them more accountable. Uh, But beyond a series of hearings where they hauled Mark Zuckerberg to Capitol Hill, grilled him fairly intensely, there wasn't really much action uh, meaningful action that followed. Now, is it because they've now officially come out with a decision to not police political ads and misinformation, does that maybe inspire a new round of efforts? It's hard to say. I, I, you know, I think that, the, the, but I think that because they've been given the the opportunity to continue um, and act really without. Uh, any regulation and, and without any policing of their own company and their own standards and practices. That's why they continue to do it. Uh, and until there's actually much more of a concrete effort that it's a priority on Capitol Hill, they'll continue to do so for the foreseeable future. So, Jason, in the meantime, this week, or might have been end of last week, very quietly, not on the president's schedule, Mark Zuckerberg was in the Oval Office talking with Donald Trump. Was not listed on, I get it every day, you do too, right. was not on the president's schedule. What's going on? Uh, it's it's still unclear uh, exactly what's going on. I mean, Zuckerberg, uh, I, I, you know, as Matt said, I mean, I think he knows exactly what he's doing as a businessman in, right. in, in America now. And I, I would say that, you know, we're, we're, we're in this parallel, we're running a parallel history track with, with 1998 and 1999. And I would, I would also just point out, and I don't have any, you know, sense that this is going to happen or is imminent, but, you know, Microsoft at that point was about to be in, in deep, you know, crap, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, because of antitrust concerns and and lawsuits by state mm-hmm. attorneys general and 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 other people who were saying like this is a this is an unfair monopoly. It's it's like skewing the way that we operate. You know, everything from businesses to personal computers, and and they yeah. you know they they became the villain before Bill Gates decided to, to cure right. malaria yeah. and and around the world. And so, you know, they <laughs> but they were and they they had a really I, tough couple of years in there. Right. Uh, and and, and and faced huge, you know, competition, you know, mm-hmm. issues from. And so I, I just think that, you know, everybody is so big and so powerful until they're not. And I think that it's just we don't know what may be the vector coming into Facebook, but it uh, it, it could be coming and it usually hits pretty hard. But the way right. you avoid that is you uh, give the president exactly what his campaign wants, which is the ability to you know spew disinformation and advertisements right. without uh, being stopped. Right. And we'll see how that goes. Uh, We covered a lot of territory. I'm sorry we don't have time to get to the most important issue of the week, which is Harry and Meghan. It looks like they're going to be in (laughs) Vancouver for a while. Who's going to pay the bill? We'll have to save that for uh, another roundtable. We still don't know, actually. We don't know. No, exactly. But we can't let you guys escape 
without your uh, favorite story of the week, what is it that really kind of caught your attention and uh, made you either giggle or frown or kind of whatever? Who wants to start? Say favorite story? Hmm. Well. Yes, Sabrina. This was just interesting to me, but wine consumption was down for the first <laughs> yes. time no. in 25 years Whoa. due to the cohort that I'm allegedly a part of, which is millennials, who appear, which who, who appear to prefer spiked seltzer drinks because they're more portable and they're increasingly popular. Um, they clearly didn't serve and you. Drink, they didn't, they clearly but didn't you drink those me. during the day. You well, don't drink I'm those. Just saying, I was obviously not part of this survey because I think I would single-handedly account uh, like help offset towards the wine. decline uh, in the consumption of wine. Um, I'm personally offended as someone who grew up in Italy, uh, but it's, yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting because yeah, I, you know the choices. Uh, 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 I think it's more of a generational. Uh, it, it reflects more on, on generational trends. Um, yeah. And so, so that was well, uh, just caught my eye. Uh, I love you, Sabrina, but this is just one more reason um, not to like millennials. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, on the, I'm on the other side of this. I, I'm on the side. I'm the pro wine. Veering into the, Julie Mason we're the area. We're the pro wine millennials here, but Matt. Um, BuzzFeed News has been doing a really great job of foying documents from uh, the Mueller probe. I love that uh, verb. Foyer. How many syllables on that? I talked about wine consumption. Now we're on to foyering. Foyering. This week they had a a story out uh, in which they basically went through all of these documents and found twelve different references to Sean Hannity. Uh, who apparently Which has document? Been, the, uh, the, the parnas documents of the Mueller, oh, the, uh, Mo- the Mueller probe, the three hundred twos, the yeah. official oh. investigative reports uh, from uh, different yeah. interviews by uh, the FBI officials, um, and they basically seem to have uncovered <coughs> that Sean Hannity is sort of a nexus point f- between people like uh, Paul Manafort, uh, the president's uh, former. Uh, uh, campaign chair, who of course is now in jail on a host of, of uh, crimes, um, and uh, the president of the United States, that Manafort believed that Sean Hannity was speaking directly to the president and thus could uh, pass on that he w- was hanging tough uh, and not revealing damaging information about him. Uh, he's basically serving as a political operative for the president and has a show on Fox News and asked to comment about this. Fox News said absolutely nothing because they don't care that one of their hosts is also a political operative for the president. Uh, by the way, and not the only one. Not the only one. Right. Jason? My favorite story, favorite story, yeah, this week was actually a continuation of a story that I had read earlier uh, or at the end of last uh, last month, and it was uh, it was a Guardian piece profile with William Gibson, the science fiction writer. Mm. Uh, and you know, Gibson is coined the term cyberspace uh, in, in the 1980s, uh, and and he. It, He's got a new book coming out, and so this is part of the publicity. Um, but but uh, this story in the Guardian uh, picked up where a New Yorker profile of Gibson had had like left off, and that's that Gibson's novels have become less speculative and more you know just sort of a reflective of of the era that he sees himself in. They typically come out the year after their pub or they the books mm-hmm. come out the year after what they're set. Uh, and, and he, he said, he was talking about his process and how, like, he was almost done with this book in 2016 and then Trump won and he felt like he had to throw it out basically and start over, even though it's a sequel to a previous book. And the thing that stuck with me was two things. One was, um, this idea that he, he had forgotten how weird the world was (laughs) until he just started looking and watching the news and Mm -hmm. and paying more attention. (laughs) 
And then this was from the previous The New Yorker piece where he said that, you know, at, at some point cyberspace and being on the internet and being online and social media used to be the thing that we did. It used to be the there and we were always here in, in oh, real life. Right. And now it's flipped. We're always online. We're always in cyberspace. We're always on a social media platform. We're always glued to our phones. And those moments when we're not hooked in, you know, like on an airplane that doesn't mm -hmm. have wireless or so forth, that's the now the exception. That's the there. Wow. That's pretty scary. And by the way, probably all of you get, like I do, a notice <laughs> on my phone every week of how much time I spent online the week before. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't want to go there, but it's <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm proving your point, Anthony. Well, my favorite story is, you know, we might be uh, obsessed with um, impeachment in Washington, D.C., but in New York City, they had a real scandal this week to deal with called Bagelgate. Uh. Um, Wednesday was National Bagel Day. I hope you all celebrated. Uh, Mayor de Blasio celebrated by noting that, uh, tweeting out that his favorite bagel was from the Bagel Hole Bakery in Park Slope, Brooklyn. It was a whole wheat bagel oh. with extra cream cheese toasted, which started a uproar in New York. You don't toast bagels they're already roasted you do not toast bagel people were outraged and the mayor had to withdraw his tweet <laughs> i'll stop toasting wait not only that but then the park hole bakery revealed they do not toast their bagels and so it was phony enough. and they also the the head of the park host bakery says there's no need to toast the bagel <laughs> it is hand rolled Baked to a crisp golden brown, anyhow. So they are fighting in New York over whether or not to toast a bagel for the Blasio record. Did get in trouble over pizza as well? Mm -hmm. He can't get any New did. York food right. This no. guy can't. I just want to say, for the record, I don't want to jump in. My favorite bagels come from... From Bullfrog. Bullfrog yeah. Bakery right around the corner here. And I do get them and I toast them. And <laughs> damn it, I'm going to continue to toast them. Well, de Blasio got in trouble for pizza because he cut it with a knife and fork. With yes. Instead of folding. I maintain this is the correct way to eat pizza, and I will fight it. Uh, they cut it in Italy, and they... Exactly. That's what he said. He said, in Italy, that's the way to eat pizza. So there you go. I just want to know. Some people have their scandals, right? Straighten out at any rate. Hey, thank you so much uh, for today's uh, uh, roundtable and today's panel. Matt Gertz from Media Matters, Jason Dick from Roll Call, and uh, Sabrina Siddiqui here from the Wall Street Journal. Let me wrap up with a parting shot, which I always hasten to add are my views only, not necessarily those of the panel. But as we talked about, uh, earlier at the top of the round table, it was a solemn moment. At around 5.15 on Wednesday afternoon, January 15, Speaker Nancy Pelosi signed two articles of impeachment voted by the House of Representatives against Donald Trump. Then, as required by the Constitution, Seven impeachment managers proceeded across the rotunda to deliver the articles to the majority leader of the Senate. And Mitch McConnell greeted them with a simple message, come back tomorrow. And that tells you all you need to know about the chances of getting a fair trial under Mitch McConnell, who's already declared that he'll let the White House decide how the trial is conducted. Even before taking a new oath, again, as required by the Constitution, a new oath to do impartial justice in an impeachment trial. McConnell, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and several other Republicans already announced that they'll vote to acquit the president no matter what the evidence shows, which is, of course, the exact opposite of what we learn as average citizens whenever we're called for jury duty. 
Even if we had heard something about the case, we were told, you must keep an open mind, examine the evidence, listen to the witnesses, and then make your decision based on the facts alone, not any political bias. In other words, in this Senate trial of Donald Trump, it's clear that a majority of Republicans are not only not doing the job required of them as U.S. senators, they're not even doing the job required of them as average American citizens. They're violating their oath. They're not worthy of the office they hold. That's today's parting shot and today's roundtable. Again, thanks to our panelists. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we ask you one more time, do us a big favor and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod and uh, tell your friends to do so too. I'm always asked, how do you do it? Hey, it's easy. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in. Search the Bill Press Pod. It'll come up. Subscribe. Click on subscribe, and you are in. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Bill Press Pod, you get advance notice of every upcoming podcast. So thanks again for listening. Stay strong. Thanks again to our panel. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.